What got you there with got you got you What got you there with Shonda Laney got you there with Shonda Laney What got you there with Shonda Laney got you there with Shonda Laney What got you there with Shonda Laney Today on What Got You There Sean talks with Pedro's Coolian the founder of Fit Body Bootcamp which is currently the world's fastest growing fitness chain Pedro's practices what he preaches implementing the same formula for success that he brings to his fitness clients worldwide Fitbody was recently listed as one of Inc. 5000's fastest-growing businesses of 2016. Before becoming the industry icon that he is today, Bedros faced a wave of obstacles in his life. As a child, he immigrated to America with his family. He didn't understand English, and his family barely scraped together enough to eat on a daily basis. If there's one statement that summarizes Bedros Koulian, it's that he absolutely loves his work. That passion bleeds into everything that he does from his training seminars to the books that he writes. Bedros knocks it out of the park on this episode of What Got You There. Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial at www.audibletrial.com forward slash what got you there. Audible has over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. I'm a huge fan of Audible and definitely recommend checking it out. If you're looking for a way to stay energized throughout the entire day, grab a bottle of Suniva Super Coffee. Suniva is something I drink on a daily basis. It's an organic bottled coffee blend with lactose-free protein and MCTs from coconut oil, which provides me with clean, all-day energy. Head to your local Whole Foods or use discount code WGYT at drinksupercoffee.com for 20% off your order. Suniva was founded by three college athletes who are brothers and wanted a cleaner way to stay energized throughout the entire day. Let's face it, we all want to look good in the clothes we wear, but I got tired of sifting through the racks looking for a quality pair of jeans that cost less than $300. Then I found Distilled. DSTLD, pronounced Distilled, offers premium denim and essentials at an affordable price. Their products cost just one-third of what other premium brands charge because Distilled refuses to work with middlemen, bringing savings directly to you. Just go to DSTLD.com right now and use the promo code JOURNEY10 in all caps at checkout to get 10% off your first purchase. Bedros, well, thank you so much for joining us. I know you have an unbelievable journey, and what we try to do at What Got You There is really hear the backstory to some of the most successful people. So I want to know, take us back to the young Bedros. Where'd your story begin? Dude, my story begins in Armenia, and uh, my story begins with me playing with chickens and goats and rats. Um, Chickens and goats, because I grew up on a farm in Armenia, communist Soviet Union, And uh, rats, because when we moved from the farm to the big city of Yerevan in Armenia, um, in the gutters where kids played, there was a lot of sewer rats. And uh, for us, it was normal. It's embarrassing to talk about now. But uh, that was a life that I grew up in. And um, my dad was a member of the Communist Party, not by choice, but because he had to be, because that's just how it is in a communist country. Uh, But he had a westernized way of thinking and living. In fact, I remember my dad actually wearing um, Ray-Ban sunglasses and Jordache jeans in in Armenia. He was a fashion man. Yeah, yeah. And those are like full-on American stuff that the Soviet government doesn't want you wearing. And he did, and he was proud of it. And so when when he decided in 1980 that we're going to escape the Soviet regime, he paid, paid off the Russian government 
Soviet government at the time, 25,000 rubles, and we made the great escape. I was six years old at the time. It was 1980, and we came to the United States. And uh, man, I got to tell you, growing up poor and broke and not understanding the culture, not, not knowing the environment, it was scary. But all my dad kept saying was, we've got an opportunity to become anything we want. We can make as much money as we want, as long as we serve the people in this country. And that's the mindset I grew up with. I love that mentality your father had. I want to know what it was like when you're six years old and you're fleeing that regime. Do you have any idea exactly what you guys are doing at the time? I had no idea. And I always tell people it's one of those things that as a six-year-old kid, like I've got a daughter who's nine years old and a son who's 11. Maybe my 11-year-old might ask, but my nine-year-old daughter, if you decided to move to, I don't know, France right now, like if we said, hey, honey, pack your bags. We're going we're gonna to go on a trip. And we were escaping, let's say, the United States. She wouldn't care. She wouldn't know. As long as you're with your mom and dad at that age, you feel safe. But I do remember getting little hints of, you know, seeing fear in my mom's eyes, seeing, seeing this energy of fear. And are we doing the right thing with my parents as we were making? So we went from Armenia to Italy. From Italy, we went into the Russian consulate or the American consulate. And uh, from the American consulate, they allowed us to escape into the United States as political refugees. And so you can imagine when all that's happening, there's some fear and doubt and all this stuff happening. And I could sense that in my parents. But really, as a kid, as long as you're with your parents, you go, well, I guess everything's okay. I later realized as I got older that, holy cow, we were escaping. And if the Soviet government found out, the KGB would send my dad to Siberia and I would have never seen him again. Wow. That's, pr- that's pretty deep. Imagine living with that. Your father must have been one incredible man to be able to do that. So you guys got to the U.S. Where'd you end up? What was life like once you got here? <laughs> well, you know, so when, you, when you're growing up in the Soviet Union, the weather's always cold. Even in the summertime in Armenia, I remember it being, being kind of chilly. And so it had gotten to a point where my dad was just like, I'm going to go to the United States. Uh, I love the American way of life because he just knew from the, you know, like Elvis Presley movies he'd seen and stuff. And, um, he decided it was going to be California because all he knew about California was there's never any snow. So we ended up coming to LAX and to California and Anaheim, right by Disneyland, is where we ended up living. Uh, now, we moved around a lot when we came to Anaheim. Uh, in the first two and a half years alone, we lived in 14 different apartments, just to give you a visual of that. So uh, growing up, I went to two, three elementary schools, two junior highs and two high schools. Uh, so I started to build this ability to establish rapport with people very quickly. Like I can build rapport with people quickly. And I know that skill is from when I was a kid because, dude, if we moved into your neighborhood, Sean, and I went to school with you and I liked you and I'm going to make friends with you and hang out with you and get you to like me because I don't know when I'm going to move away because it might be tomorrow. We get kicked out of the apartment or my parents can't afford to pay the rent and we're off to another town. And so we were always in that Southern California area from, you know, Cerritos, Anaheim, Santa Ana. But um, talk about stick and move, stick and move. That was up. <laughs> no, that it's so funny because just your charisma. I always wondered where you got that from. And it's so interesting that it was due to you moving from place to place. That's very fascinating to me. Yeah, I had to build that rapport so quickly and get. So first of all, imagine you're wearing funny clothes because you're a foreigner. You got a funny haircut. You got a funny accent because you're just learning the language. And you just want to make friends because you're a kid. And so I wanted to be as likable as possible. And so I, I always knew that the only way I can be likable is if I start taking an interest in all the other kids. What sports do you like? What toys do you like to play with? What's your favorite color? Until this day, when I meet someone, 
They'll go, hey, Bedros, I'm a big fan. And I just start going, oh, you're a big fan. What products of mine do you have? How has it helped you? Tell me about your personal training business. How? Uh, tell me about your family. And I still go into the rapport building mode. It's become factory installed now for me. And it's been one of my greatest superpowers. You think that's your best unique skill set? It's that skill and the ability to take any kind of negative, what I call taking chicken shit and turning it into chicken salad. And I can take any <laughs> and turn it into advantage. I can see the silver lining around anything. Well, I mean, I know your backstory. You have some very tough times after you guys got the U.S. Can you want to share with my listeners some of those tough times? Because you mentioned this positivity mindset and how you're able to turn that chicken shit to chicken salad. How did you do that? You want to talk about a few of those instances? Sure, sure. So so one of them is, you know, when you're broke and you're, my, my parents literally had to decide whether they're going to pay a wa the water bill or gas bill or electric bill, but all months we can pay all the bills. And so you do need water at all times. Uh, that's kind of a necessity. So oftentimes it was the electric bill that was the first to go. And so when it would go, uh, my father would always get resourceful. He's like, all right, well, we, we can live without electricity, but we do have to buy food and we need water. Then he discovered dumpsters in the back of grocery stores. And this is my favorite story of my dad. He goes, son, you became the breadwinner at the age of six. I go, how? He goes, remember when I'd give you a boost into these big dumpsters in the back of grocery stores? I go, yeah. He goes, well, I, my job was to fish out food that had expired or gone bad but wasn't completely bad. Stores couldn't sell it, so they threw it away. But people like us could fish it out of the dumpster and eat it. And so, you know, my mom and dad and my older brother and sister all had multiple jobs, you know, uh, delivering newspaper, pumping gas, washing dishes at the back of a pizzeria. But I was the breadwinner the first two years because every night my dad would go to the back of the, uh, the, the grocery store. It was called Alpha Beta. And he would lift me up. And for me, dude, it was a treasure hunt. And so I, <laughs> I was a kid. I was going on a treasure hunt looking for food. I had so much fun. But that was another way my dad got resourceful in saying, look, instead of buying food, fuck it. We're just going to find food and eat it. Pick off the mold and eat the rest of the bread and cheese. And another time moving around into all these shitty apartments because we couldn't afford, you know, high quality apartments. Um, <laughs> I got lice from one of the apartments that we lived in. Uh, I guess th there was, there was a lice infestation. And again, we couldn't afford lice treatment because it's either water bill or food or so we couldn't afford lice treatment. My mom, see, this is the foreigner ingenuity. My mom <laughs> made, made my dad Pump, uh, pump out a cup and a half of gasoline from, from uh, a car in the neighborhood. And then she took me out on the grass and she made me double over. And then she washed my hair with gasoline to kill the lice. And so we had free lice treatment that way. Um, and, and so when you look at all these different ways that we had to take these, ad these challenges and adversities and turn them into advantages by finding a dumpster and digging out food, therefore food became free. Um, taking gasoline out of a car and washing my hair, therefore not having to buy lice treatment. Even today, when I'm faced with challenges and adversities, I go, how is this going to make me into a stronger, better, more resilient entrepreneur? You talk about the adversities you face today. Do you think without a doubt, if you didn't have these past experiences, you wouldn't be as well equipped to handle them today? Fucking A, 100%. Hmm. Absolutely love that. So what do you say to someone who's maybe a young entrepreneur and maybe didn't face the same challenges you did? How do they attack different challenges and mountains they have to climb? That, that's a good question. So, man, I'm so glad you asked. No one, I, I've done over 270 podcast interviews now. No one has asked me that. So if someone is a young entrepreneur, but you haven't had, had your hair washed with gasoline, you haven't had to dig food out of a dumpster to eat it, 
you know, people go, well, I don't know how to turn adversities into advantages like you do. The answer is yes, you do. Here's what I do these days. Two to three times a year, I take these six-week challenges. And what I do is I take a challenge that I'm something I'm not good at. Like in 2010, I started doing this. I go, uh, I'm going to train for six weeks and run a marathon. Dude, I weigh 230 pounds. I'm built with muscle. I'm not designed to run 26.2 miles. But I took on a challenge and I did it. And then I said, I'm afraid of heights. I'd never go rock climbing. Fuck it. I'm going to train for six weeks and, and, and be a master rock climber. And I did. I didn't know how to surf, yet I lived in California. So two years ago, I took that, that challenge. And for six weeks, I went three times a week, almost drowned every single day. But now I'm a pretty damn good surfer. Uh, and I just keep taking on these different challenges that scare me. And every time I go through a challenge, whether it's running a marathon, rock climbing, fear of heights, fear of drowning – and I overcome it and I get good at it, it makes me better at making money and serving my community. Damn, Bedros, I love that. You are getting me jacked up over here. I love how you're challenging yourself. When you stop growing, you stop developing your life, you're just complacent, that will not help you reach your goals and get you where you wanna be. So, I mean, I also wanna know a little bit more about this work ethic. So how do you go from dumpster diving to then all of a sudden being the founding person in the one of the 5,000 fastest growing businesses? How does that happen? You know what? I knew long ago that my dad was brainwashing me. Like I knew he was brainwashing me when he would tell me, look, son, in this country, you can become anything you want. You can have freedom. You can have all the money you want. So long as you serve people, he would always end that sentence with so long as you serve people. So I knew growing up that I, my mission was to serve people. And so I wasn't going to be in the making a product business. It was the service business. So organically, uh, when I was a fat kid, because when you eat out of the dumpster, you don't necessarily get to pick and choose what you're eating. I grew up as a pretty fat kid. And so it wasn't until the end of junior year in high school that I actually started working out and getting fit so that I can ask this girl named Nakaya out to the prom for my senior year. Now, I lost 30 pounds the summer of, uh, of, of senior year, but I never asked out Nakaya because I didn't have the nerves to. So I never went to the prom. But what's really great is I realized that I want to help people, serve people by way of helping them achieve their fitness and fat loss goals that I did because my confidence went up, my self-esteem went up, I, I had higher self-worth. Uh, here I thought I was just changing my body. I changed my entire demeanor uh, and, and, and my, my perspective on life and I wanted to help others. And so I became a personal trainer. I really enjoyed serving people. Even if I had to wake up at 4.30 in the morning to train you, Sean, I was there, I'm training you, and I'm giving you energy like I was Zig Ziglar and <laughs> put together at 4.30 in the morning. Uh, and so I go, well, how can I serve people more? Okay, open up your own gym. Get other trainers to work for you. How can I serve people more in this way? Okay, we'll start helping other personal trainers grow their businesses, and through them, you're serving more people through fitness and fat loss. Well, how can I serve even more people? Now I want to serve millions of people every morning, not just millions of people uh, you know, over a year. Well, start a franchise. And now these franchises are all going to have 500 to 1,000 clients, and, and, and they're going to serve people every morning. And through you, through them, you're going you're gonna to be able to serve more people. So I knew what my purpose was, and uh, I developed my purpose. See, everybody says, well, I'm going to figure out what my passion and my purpose is and then go do it. I go, dude, if, you, if there's like a little hint, like, like I just knew that I was supposed to serve. And then I realized, okay, I can serve through fitness and fat loss because it worked for me. It made me happy. I want to do that with others. All right, then. Now I want to do more of it. So don't try and figure out what is my ultimate service goal in life. I had no idea I was going to open up a fucking franchise and, and make it one of the fastest growing franchises on the planet. I just knew I wanted to serve people through health and fitness. And it so happened that my evolution as I developed as a human, as an entrepreneur, led me to 
to, to this. And now I'm writing a book that's going to help me even serve more people. And so it's this process of developing into a entrepreneur, developing your purpose rather than finding it. I mean, your evolution, I think, is one of the most impressive things about you. You go from one gym, then you have five gyms, then you found Fit Body Bootcamp, CEO of all these things, and then you become on Inc.'s 5,000's fastest growing company of 2016. I want to know, I mean, how do you take each one of these steps in advancement? I mean, when you sell your company and then you want to start the franchise, where do you even learn that skill set to do that? You know what? It has to be in the trenches. You learn that skill set in the trenches. There is no other place to learn entrepreneurial skill sets than in the trenches. And so everybody says, well, maybe, maybe I should go to college and uh, get, a, get a business degree. Maybe I should go to college, get an MBA. There's no other place to become an entrepreneur than in the trenches, learn by bleeding, bleeding, literally bleeding, because I had ulcers so bad that I would sit on the toilet in 2007 and bleed, there I said it, and, uh, and bleeding also bleeding in money, bleeding in money. And when you learn these lessons through blood and lost money, and through actual trial and error. See, everyone's got like, oh, I got, I got a theory on if you uh, make the right marketing message and the right offer to the right people on a Facebook ad, you'll make money. Go try it, motherfucker, and watch what happens, right? And so you go do that and you lose 20 grand. Now you've learned the right message to the right people with the right offer on Facebook. But there's theory. So the people who practice versus those who profess, I will go out there and practice and learn in the trenches all day long rather than listen to people who profess that they know it all. Got to roll up those sleeves and get the hands dirty. Now, you mentioned some marketing. I definitely want to dive into that because you are one of the thought leaders in marketing today. But I want to hit on your routines. Do you have any current routines you're working on right now? Marketing routines or personal routines? No, personal routines. Morning routines, evening routines. How do you set your days up for success? Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm like a German shepherd dog, man. I don't know if you know <laughs> shepherd dogs, but if they don't have a routine, if they're not shepherding you know, other animals at a certain time so many times a day, uh, they fall into a depression. This is a true story. I will, and I believe most humans are designed this way. If we are not serving or if we don't have a routine, we end up falling into a deep, dark depression, which if, if you ask me, that is why we have such a high, the highest amount of, uh, of mood altering prescriptions are being offered today in this time because less and less people have routines and have a purpose. And so my routine, my morning routine is what keeps me sane and what keeps me on path and to my growth and my mission. And my morning routine starts the night before. I write down the three to five things I'm going to do that are within my 5%. My 5% is, see, there's a million things I got to do as an entrepreneur to run my business. But I don't need to write the payroll checks. I have an accountant who does that. I don't need to write a pay, uh, do the P&L report. I've got a bookkeeper who does that. I don't need to clean the restrooms. We've got a janitor who does that in our building. I've got 5% of my job. Uh, is, is the critical stuff that only I can do that makes us money and that no one else can do. So I write the three to five things the night before. When I wake up, I literally wake up at 4.30 every morning, seven days a week, and I drink my 16 ounces of cold water, have a protein shake with a little bit of oatmeal thrown in there, and then a hot coffee, and I sit down by 5.36 a.m., because uh, that whole process takes me about an hour, and I go through a little gratitude exercise that I do in the morning, and then I start working. I work on those three to five things that I wrote out the night before. I turn my phone upside down. I put it on silent and I push it away from me. The reason I do that, I don't want to see it ring. I don't want to hear it ring. I don't want to see a notification. I don't want to get any kind of distraction. I want it to be so far that I, don't, I can't reach it. And if I'm doing that, I'm working on the three to five things that move my business forward. By about 9.30, 10 o'clock in the morning, I am done working on my business and I can go work out. 
And when I work out, I come right here to the headquarters and I start creating the content like I am doing now on Instagram, on Facebook, on a podcast, writing my book, you know, creating new, new courses. All those things are content creation happens later in the day. The work that makes me money happens first thing in the morning, but it gets planned out the night before. And that is my routine. I'm curious about that evening routine. You say you mentioned you write the three to five things you want to work on for the next day. Does that get your mind racing even more? Because as an entrepreneur, I feel like my mind's moving a mile a minute. And when I try to go to bed, I feel like if I write those things down, that's all I'll be thinking about. Does this actually help you forget about those things when you go to sleep? Yeah, actually, I'm glad you asked that question. So I should have clarified, man. I don't, you don't do that right. So I go to bed at 10 a.m. or 10 p.m. because I have to wake up at 4.30. Uh, you, write, you write those down at 7 or 8 o'clock gotcha. at night. So you do that. I do it at, at eight o'clock at night. And so I still have two hours of hangout time with my wife and kids. Well, usually an hour with my kids and then the next final hour with my wife. And uh, it's also a brain dump because if that stuff is floating around in my head, I'm not going to be able to sleep. But if I dump it onto my iPhone on the notes section at eight o'clock by 10 o'clock when I go to bed, I know that it's on my iPhone and I'm going to dominate that stuff first thing in the morning. And I just can't wait to get up and crush. Love that. It sounds like you're also outsourcing a bunch of your work. How, as an entrepreneur, I work with a lot of high-level entrepreneurs, and they always have the toughest time letting go some of these tasks. How do, you, how do you get rid of those tasks? And then also, how do you find good people to handle those? So that's a really good two-part question. And so what you do to outsource properly is you get a big, giant marker board or a piece of paper. You draw a line, line down the center. On the left side, you write 5% at the top. On the right side, you write 95%. And that's obviously a total of the 100% of the things that has to get done to move your business. And so you go, all right, what is what is it 95% of the things that other people can do? And usually in my head, I just, I call it the $20 an hour rule. So if it's a task that I can pay someone $20 an hour or less to do, then I shouldn't be doing it. So that includes cleaning my desk, that includes cleaning our office, that includes payroll, that includes, you know, all this stuff. Just because I can make a ClickFunnels website, because ClickFunnels and Russell Brunson have made it so easy to drag and drop and make it a funnel, I'm not going to fucking do it. I'm going to outsource that to someone, right? And so the, the, the entrepreneurs that are, that are average in the way they think, mediocre in their actions, and are crop dusters, go, oh, I can do it, so I'm going to do it. You know what, dude, I'm a fighter jet, and I'm way above average, and I know that I'm going to outsource this to, to some millennial who has the ability to do it better and faster than me and for $20 an hour or less so that I can go do the big things because no one can stand in front of this computer and in front of these cameras and do what I'm doing right now. This is just me. No one, this is in my 5%, but in my 95%, it's making a ClickFunnels funnel. That ain't me. I'm, I'll, I'll pay the, and then to run the ads just because I know how to run Facebook ads, I ain't going to do it. We got two people that buy ads full time, right? And so I pay them. I pay people money to make me money and to buy back my time to spend with my family and to work on my 5%. So the second part of that question, which was, well, then how do you find these people? You don't find them, you train them up. And as entrepreneurs, we have to start manning up and taking responsibility for not only ourselves, but our teams. When you bring on an employee, you have the responsibility to train them up, set the expectations, and, and then lead from the front so that they see that, man, the boss actually leads from the front and exceeds expectations, and I have to too. And when an employee of yours doesn't do something right, they're five minutes late, don't wait. Uh, you saw it. Now you're going to build resentment but not talk to them about it because you don't want to hurt anybody's feelings and you're anti-confrontational and all this bullshit. 
Instead, go talk to them right away. Say, dude, you were five minutes late. You can't even be four minutes late. You can't be three minutes late. You can't be two minutes late. You can't be one minute late. And we, this could never happen again because we're going to have to part ways if it does. Does that make sense? Yes. Address the issue fast. Communicate clearly. Set high expectations and train people up. And if you can do that as a, as a boss, as an entrepreneur, because otherwise people go, well, how did you find Joan, your assistant? How did you find your, your video guys? You know, I set high expectations and we train them up. And I go, hey, I want videos like this guy. I like the, the, the style of videos this, this guy does. Can you do it like that? Yes. The problem is we hire people and we just go, all right, go get them, Tiger. And when they fuck up, we start building resentment against them. And then we wonder why they, they suck. Man, Bedros, this is pure gold. I am taking notes like crazy right now. I'm curious, did you have this approach before you were as successful as you are now when your business was smaller? Were you still doing these things? No, no. In fact, I was the king of all crop dusters. I was the sea that mediocre people swam in. <laughs> I was the guy that, uh, in fact, my book, Man Up, that comes out next year, I talk about the fact that uh, there was a particular employee that I should have fired 14 months before I did fire or part ways with her. Um, but I didn't fire her because I didn't want to get judged. I didn't want to have that tough conversation. I didn't want to feel like uh, if I fire her, what if I can't replace her with someone better, which I could have replaced her with a monkey and I could have done better. And I'm being honest with you, man. And then so instead, uh, I, I decided I'm not going to talk to her. I'm going to avoid her. And we're going to have this weird energy between us where it seemed very adversarial. And guess what happened? 14 months later, when I was finally ready to fire her, that afternoon, she beat me to the punch and she quit while I was, on, while I was at the gym working out. Uh, so she quit four hours before I was going to fire her. It's almost like she knew. After 14 months, Sean, we were finally on the same page that one day. I was going to fire her at 5 o'clock. She quit at 12 o'clock while I was in the gym, wiped her hard drive clean, wiped all the company's hard drives clean, um, locked us all out of our um, email addresses. Took all of our franchise agreements, put them in two big garbage bags, poured coffee and carpet cleaning solution on them. And, and when I came back from the gym, I literally realized that I had to call the cops and had, was wondering, like, what the hell? Why is this happening to me? And I finally had to have that wake up kind of moment with myself that, dude, she didn't do this to you. You did it to yourself by not fixing this problem 14 months ago. Wow, that is an awesome story about how you have to take care of these little things before they get huge in your business. And then speaking of your business, Fit Body Bootcamp, can you talk a little bit about the business, about the formula you developed, and then how it's been so successful? Yeah, absolutely, man. So, you know, like I said, I've been a personal trainer my whole life. I, I love coaching people, not only into their towards their fitness goals, but also towards their mindset goals, their money goals, their relationship goals. I, I, I'm just a coach at heart. And so I wanted to create a fitness business where I could reach more people and help more people in our in the fitness industry and the end user, the, the client. Well, I figured the fastest way to do that is to create a franchise because the personal training business model was broken. It was just a broken model. And by that, I mean, we did one-on-one 60-minute workout sessions, which means as a trainer, you can have maybe 10 or 15, 20 clients. Now you're making good money, but you've got no time. You're now held hostage by your own business. Or you're running a fitness boot camp outdoors, so you're training one trainer, many clients, but you're dependent upon the weather. You're hoping the city doesn't kick you out of the park. You're hoping that Mrs. Jones doesn't trip over a sprinkler system or fruit. All these things happen in our industry. So I knew our industry was broken, and at the best case scenario, if you start making a lot of money, you start losing all your time and freedom. 
And so I said, what if I can create a group training program? It's personal training done in a group, not outdoors, but indoors. So all trainers can do it anywhere worldwide. And what if I made it into a franchise where it's got repeatable, duplicatable systems for operations, marketing, sales, support, staffing. So we take their trainers, like a Fit Body Bootcamp owner who comes on board as a franchisee, we take their trainers and turn them into awesome coaches for them. We teach them how to market. We do the marketing for them. We drive the leads for them. So it's a done-for-you business model that really allows anyone who's in the fitness industry or wants to open up a fitness business to make it turnkey and profitable. And uh, that's why we've been growing so quickly. People ask me, what's the secret sauce? The secret sauce is find something that's broken and fix it, and people will get on board with it. Today, what got you there is being fueled by Soniva Super Coffee. Soniva provides an organic bottled coffee blended with lactose-free protein and MCTs from coconut oil for all-day energy. Grab a bottle at your local Whole Foods market or use discount code WGYT at drinksupercoffee.com for 20% off your order. Are you looking to finish the latest thriller, such as The Girl on the Train, while you're at the gym or in the car? Well, now you can. For listeners of What Got You There podcast, Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check this out. Head over to www.audibletrial.com forward slash what got you there to choose from over 180,000 titles to select the book you want to hear next. Distilled utilizes the same fabrics, factories, and wash houses as the best known brands and designers while skipping the markups and middlemen. The result, top quality denim without the retail runaround. Just go to dstld.com and see where minimalist design meets maximum comfort. They have a 100% fit guarantee offering free shipping and returns until you find the perfect pair. Inspired by the creative class, Distilled is the perfect brand for those who have other things to think about besides getting dressed. You'll look good no matter what with Distilled. Distilled has been featured in Forbes, Time, and TechCrunch, as well as on denim-clad celebrities in GQ and Men's Health. You can find the brand's amazing selection of outwear, leather jackets, t-shirts, and more using the same principles of high-grade materials at low-end cost. Distilled is your answer to elevated style without elevated prices. Just go to dstld.com right now and use the promo code JOURNEY10 in all caps at checkout to get 10% off your first purchase. Bedros, I feel like the fitness industry is so cyclical and, and you'll have these trends that come in and out, whether it be a CrossFit or an Orange Theory. How do you stay on top of these trends and are you afraid of that happening to Fit Body Bootcamp? No, absolutely not, because CrossFit, for example, is not a trend. CrossFit was a, there was a void that was missing in our industry, and CrossFit filled that void. There was a void missing in uh, our industry as well. Nobody was serving the female population the right way. And I'll give you an example. Who used to serve them was Curves, but they were not delivering the results. They were just saying, hey, here's an area where you can come work out, go in a circle. They weren't focusing on their mindset, on their nutrition. They were just putting them through pneumatic exercises, right? Air-powered exercises where people stop seeing results. You stop seeing results, you stop paying. Um, Mrs. Jones wasn't about to go to a CrossFit and start lifting barbells over her head. That certainly wasn't going to happen. So CrossFit was like, look, big, big, big box gyms aren't letting people do these kind of powerlifting, Olympic weightlifting movements. So CrossFit was born. And I said, hey, look, Big box gyms are not really creating an environment for Mrs. Jones, who's a typical housewife, wants to go work out. She doesn't feel safe. 
She doesn't feel confident. She's intimidated by all the meatheads like me, right? Now, we are far from intimidating. In fact, if Mrs. Jones walks up to any meathead in the gym, he will be the first to serve her. But we just look mean because we're big and we, we're focused. And so the reality is you've seen him in the gym, man. You'll get off the machine. She won't even adjust the weight or the seat. She'll just jump on board. If, if she can move it a little bit, great. If not, she just moves on to the next thing and they never get results. And Curves made an attempt to work with them but was unsuccessful. This is why they are on the massive decline. I created a program that uses non-intimidating equipment, battle ropes, suspension straps, the colors of our business model, you know, red, white, and blue, very patriotic. There's nothing dark and scary. We have no chalk, no barbells. There's no, you know, smashing of weights around. And we create an environment where they train like an athlete, but get the results they want in a 30 minute environment. And it's a community. And we focus on nutrition and mindset just as much as a workout. So where curves was a trend, and my, th my theory is that Orange Theory is a trend, CrossFit is not a trend, it is here to stay, Fit Body Bootcamp is here to stay, and big box gyms will still be here to stay because people who just want to work out a, at a big box gym on their own who actually know what they're doing, they'll go there. Um, but there are other businesses that are trends. Uh, Fit Body Bootcamp is not one of them. No, thank you for the correction on that. And I'm wondering, you mentioned marketing earlier. How do you stay ahead of marketing? I mean, you guys do it better than anyone else, I think. So I'm curious, wh where does that creativity come from for you? And then how do you execute on that? Man, I, I believe that, that that to me is a gift. And it, it, can I was I able to hone in that gift, my marketing skills? Absolutely. But I'm one of the few people that not only come from the fitness space, but also I adapted to the internet very quickly. In 1997, I was online with a web business called TotalMuscle.com selling supplements. And so, you know, while that business failed, I learned so much about the internet and I saw how quickly the internet was evolving. And so when I see people go, oh man, I'm all about Facebook, but I don't know anything about Instagram, so I'm not going to do Instagram. I go, dude, you're nuts. If Instagram is the hot thing right now, you better figure it out. So my whole thing is that I adapt and I create faster than I can be copied because I know how quickly the internet works. And I know that the internet, social media specifically, is the number one needle mover in most businesses. And so I come from the internet marketing world because I started off early on the internet. Um, and so I've stayed entrenched in that world. And I, I have a mindset of I will never be closed-minded. I will be open-minded to whatever the new marketing platform is, and I will use that marketing platform to exploit my business. And if more people had that mindset, they would be as successful as well. Oh, I love that quote, adapt faster than you can be copied. That's absolute gold there, Bedros. So you are someone who's always on top of things. Any idea on what's to come next in terms of marketing with social media? Uh, you know, where marketing and social media is, is, I can tell you right now, if you look at what's happening, we are doing, for example, I'm doing a live on Instagram right now and I'm in, and Facebook and, of course, this podcast. Today, more than ever, and what's going to happen in the very near future, people are buying who you are and not what you do. It used to be people buy what you do. So I'll use fitness as an example. Oh, wow, he's got a business front. The window says they do personal training. I'm going to go buy personal training. Today, every fucking town has personal trainers in it. Every town has dentists in it. Every town has chiropractors in it. Every town has plastic surgeons in it. They have donut shops in it. They no longer buy what you do or what you sell. They buy who you are. And so using social media, Instagram, Facebook, Snapchat, Twitter, podcasts, blogging, YouTube, I am now showing the world who I am. 
I am winning people over through my personality. You either love me or you hate me. You either say I love that foreigner and what he stands for and how he runs his business, or I hate him because he's loud, he's obnoxious, and he's got a foul mouth. And that's okay. I'm willing to polarize people, right? But the people who love me and decide to stay with me are rabid followers because they're buying who I am, not what I sell. And so we need to adapt. And anybody listening to this right now that has anything to sell to the world needs to start putting themselves out there. Transparency and authenticity is the currency today. Wow. I think if anyone takes anything away from this conversation, without a doubt, it is going to be that. You also mentioned private coaching. I want to hear a little bit about what coaches you hire and then also some of the private coaching you do. Uh, Man, I've hired coaches my whole life. Uh, My very first coach who I didn't pay for, he was paying me. He was a personal training client. His name is Jim Franco. And when I realized he was a millionaire, uh, I said, hey, can I train you one extra time a week on me? So he would come in three times a week that he would pay for. I trained him a fourth time, and I would it, would it was on me. But during that fourth training session, I would pick his mind about business. Oh, I love that. Yeah, and so I realized, holy cow, through him, I'm buying experience, wisdom, and speed. I don't have to make these mistakes. And so once I had money, I started hiring coaches. And I've hired uh, Frank Kern, uh, Yannick Silver, uh, uh, Joe Polish, who else? Uh, currently I'm one of my coaches is, uh, Joel Wendell speaking coach. Cause I want to be able to speak and tell stories better from stage. Right. And so I've gotten really like, man, great. You're a great storyteller and you weave your stories and your life lessons. So, well, that's because Joel Wendell, who's in the fucking speakers hall of fame, I pay him an obscene amount of money and he teaches me. It's not a gift that I have. I'm a foreigner. English was a second language to me for crying out loud. Right. So it's not like I can speak better than anyone else. It's just I've learned to articulate myself because I've hired coaches to make me better at what I do. I have a therapist because I want to not only be able to bounce things, my problems off of a therapist, but because I do private coaching for other entrepreneurs. And Sean, since you you do this, you know this, most entrepreneurs have some kind of a vice, whether it's alcohol addiction, sexual addiction, food addiction, uh, uh, emotional issues, ups and downs, right? And so make no mistake about it, I end up solving an addiction problem most of the time. And for that to happen, I got to work with the therapist and and be able to guide a client through a process. So I had a client tell me uh, while we're doing business coaching, um, she was a private client and she goes, yeah, uh, you you know, I just, I just drink until I fall asleep. I go, wait, excuse me, you drink until you fall asleep. She goes, I go, do you mean you drink until you pass out? She goes, "I, I guess you don't look at it that way. But that was her giving me a little thread, right? And then so I learned through my therapist what questions to ask to make it feel safe for her to tell me so that I can help her overcome her addiction, right? And so, dude, you got to have coaches and you got to be a, an exceptional coach. Otherwise, you end up doing not only your clients a disservice, but the moment you start thinking like, I know it all is the moment that your empire crumbles. What about the people with a fixed mindset who are too afraid to spend on coaching? Maybe they're not making the income they want currently. Do they still spend the money out for there for coaching? Yes. I am against going into debt except for under one circumstance, except for hiring a coach. So people who have a fixed mindset and they have this belief system that I don't have the money right now to hire a coach and therefore I won't hire a coach, I say charge up your credit cards, max out your credit cards, get the coach who's right for you and take action like your life depends on it. That is the only time I believe people should go into debt. Don't go into debt to buy a car. Don't go into debt to buy clothes or, or to go on a fucking vacation or to eat at this expensive restaurant you can't afford or to, 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 to get blingage just to show people that you're, you're a fucking baller. 
but go into debt to hire a coach or a mentor who can help you cross the bridge that you're unable to build and cross yourself. What about some of these mastermind groups you're a part of and also have formed? How do those develop? And then what are you learning from those mastermind groups? Well, the mastermind groups are really awesome because the ones that I'm in, there are other high-performing entrepreneurs like me that are running eight and nine-figure businesses, and we literally sit around for two days, and someone like Joe Polish will literally uh, kind of drive the conversation down different areas, sales, marketing, leadership, building teams, how to fire people and not feel shitty about it, all those things. And so I really enjoy the mastermind groups I belong to, and then the four mastermind groups that I've created you know, help people become better entrepreneurs, better at online marketing, better franchisees if they're Fit Body Bootcamp franchise mastermind members. And it masterminds, all it does is it shows you that you're no longer an island because as an entrepreneur, you're an island. All your friends have jobs and they clock in and clock out and they look forward to the Friday. As an entrepreneur, you don't clock in and clock out. You're always on and you look forward to a Monday, right? And so you realize you are an island amongst your friends because they have jobs, you're an entrepreneur. And then all of a sudden, you are connected to a mastermind that has entrepreneurs. Holy smokes, you're no longer an island. Everyone in there is spotted or, or striped just like you. You're like-minded animals, and you can learn from a network of people who have already gone through the challenges that you're going through and can solve the bottlenecks that you're currently experiencing. I mean, you mentioned Joe Polish, the Genius Network, the thought leader he is. Who are some of the most impressive thought leaders you see out there today? Maybe these aren't people you've necessarily worked with, but that you really look up to and are constantly learning from. Sure. Elon Musk, for one. I mean, you know, anyone that thinks that they're, they think big, I challenge you to think big like Elon Musk. He, he's a thought leader, man. He decided that, forget these electric cars that, that GM and, and, and Toyota and Nissan Honda are creating. I'm going to make a proper electric car that gets 300, 400, 500 miles to the gallon, looks sexy, and is affordable for people. And he's now literally disturbing a whole market space. Like the, the car companies were laughing at him because they're like, dude, we dominate in this space. Now they're shaking in their boots with what Elon Musk is doing. And then he goes, hey, NASA, you guys can't even take shit up to the International Space Center <laughs> without it costing millions of dollars and without it blowing up. I'm going to create SpaceX, and I'm going to make just round trips. Round trips, like he he create he made SpaceX into the Southwest Airlines of fucking space travel, right? And now he's going to colonize Mars. His mission is to die on Mars, right? Like there's a big thinker, and then he goes, you know what? I know why people don't want to use solar power because those those stupid solar panels look silly on top of their roofs. I'm going to take actual shingles on roofs and make them out of solar panel material where they look sexy, and then of course Solar City now. He's invested into Solar City, and Solar City is going to be rolling out these sexy shingles for your rooftop. And I'm actually going to get them for once because I don't want my beautiful property to to have this ugly blemish on it that looks like a solar panel. And now it doesn't have to. So someone like Elon Musk, for example, is, is one person that comes to mind. Another person that comes to mind is Gary Vaynerchuk. You know, people like gripe about him uh, all all you want that, that you know he just he lives his whole life on the internet and blah blah blah. And uh, he's all about, you know, the same thing, hustle and grind, hustle and grind. And I'm all for, I get that. And I got my own strategy idea about hustle and grind. And at some point, hustle and grind does have to end. And you need to start thinking scale and structure. But Gary Vaynerchuk knows social media and the trends of social media before the rest of the world. And so you want to talk about a thought leader who's way ahead of the curve. I mean, there, there's Gary for you, right? Then you got people like Tim Ferriss. I mean, the dude has taken the impossible and made it possible. You show him something, and he will find a way to hack it and do it. 
So anyone who has this belief system of a fixed mindset that, oh, I can't do X, go look at all the things, like all the challenges that I've done are pale in comparison to what Tim Ferriss has done and has hacked in his life. And so those are three really big thought leaders that I think most people should follow and not only follow, but emulate, learn from. Since following Elon Musk and learning about him several years ago, anytime I think of something, I'm like, ooh, that's a really big idea. This is going to change the fitness industry. And I go, all right, now, how can I think Elon Musk levels and with the same idea, change the world? And then I think bigger. I go, what would Elon Musk do? And then I go, ah, this is how I can make that idea 10x bigger. And I do. Yeah, no, those are three people who have completely changed the way I think about different problems, and they're certainly people that you should be following without a doubt. One thing I'm curious about, you mentioned the hustle and grind, and Gary's gotten some flack because of the amount of time he puts towards his family. One thing I've heard about you is you're an unbelievable parent. What do you do to parent your kids in the right way? Um, I'm engaged, and and I do that. You know, Look, I love my parents to death, and, and the reality is that when we came to this country, man, my parents didn't have time for me, and I get that because they had to survive. They had to get a roof over my head. My parents had to find a way to feed us. And so, and the old Armenian culture is you're supposed to be seen and not heard. That's it. And so I grew up just as a byproduct of circumstance. But I also knew that I wanted to have a different relationship with my kids. I wanted my kids to, one, have a voice and feel safe to come to me or to mom or to any adult and engage in conversation and not just be seen, but actually be heard, you know, as a kid. So I make time. I go on a weekly date with my daughter. You know, I, we have date night, a weekly date night with my daughter. With my son, we do boys trips together, just me and my son, where it's he and I and Big Bear for a two-day trip. Or we'll go to, uh, we did New York together. We went to Manhattan. And it's just, we have, I have adult conversations with them and I treat them like adult. I give them choices. I teach them how to become decisive. I show them the life experiences that I wish I would have learned. I take my son or my daughter when we're traveling to an event that I'm speaking at and I say, Hey, stand in the back of the room and let's, let's critique every speaker who comes up, including me. When I go up and speak, I want you to critique me. And they sit there with a notepad and they critique. Did the speakers spend the first 10 minutes talking about themselves or did they get up on stage and go, hey, I want to thank the person putting on this event for putting this event together. These events are tough to put on, to fill up these seats. And odds are you go into, uh, you lose money when you put on an event like this. And so I want to thank the host of this event. Like, are they giving gratitude and love to the person? Or are they selfishly talking about themselves and repositioning themselves already? All those things matter. And I, and I teach them that people don't give a shit about you. They give a shit about themselves. And so I give the lessons and I give the experiences that I wish I would have had. And everyone tells me, dude, that's great parenting. I go, well, gee, thanks. I'm just doing the opposite of what, what was done with me. No, I love how you have challenged traditional norms there. And I think those lessons you're teaching them will just last a lifetime with that. I'm curious, what's your take on college? Uh, we decided actually three years ago, my wife and I, that we are stopping our kids' college funds because they are learning so much from us. And I told my son and daughter, and I keep reinforcing it because my daughter's nine, my son is 11. Uh, hey, guys, unless you become a lawyer, doctor, engineer, something that needs a very specific skill or education, um, unless you, that's your path, we're not going to send you to college because you can become everything else by either watching mom and dad at work or if you want to, you know, write a book. Great. I know enough authors where you can go mentor for an, you can go, you know, be an apprentice for Lewis House, like. My son can go and work for Lewis House for free and then learn from Lewis House how to run podcasts and, and, and write a book. Uh, he doesn't need to go and take literary classes and get a bachelor's degree on writing a book. He can learn from a New York Times bestselling author. So 
my whole position is you're going to learn through experience unless it's something so specialized that it requires a law degree, a medical degree, or engineering degree. Oh, no, that's fascinating. I love that approach. And, and just the access even you have and are able to bring to them is incredible. I mean, you were the breadwinner when you were six years old. Now your kids are 9 and 11. They bringing home any bacon? They do. They actually, I'm looking at my fridge right now. It's to, to my left and every single Zevia can on the top top floor. And, and Ed over here is my witness, my videographer. Every single label is facing out. And then I've got the Fit Aid cans and every single label, the, the tops are all facing the same way. And then I got the... Um, bottles of spring water and every single label is facing the same way they that my kids are in here during their summer break and they are stocking the fridges and stocking the printers with paper and they're doing it right they pay very specific attention to detail now some people might say well that's you're being a control freak i sure am and i love having control over my life my money my health my family my friends my circumstances i'm never caught by surprise because i control everything in my life including my kids destiny Oh, I love that approach. So you mentioned the New York Times a minute ago when mentioning Lewis Howes. What about your book, Man Up, that you said is coming out in a few months? What's that about? What, what are my listeners have to look forward to? Um, well, what they have to look forward to is a uh, wonderful book about my experience of building Fit Body Bootcamp and almost going bankrupt with it. When I launched Fit Body Bootcamp in 2010, it was a licensed program. It was not a franchise. We became a franchise in 2012. Uh, and I almost went bankrupt in 2014 by being an ineffective leader, having poor vision. And so uh, that really almost made Fit Body Bootcamp go under. So what I did was from 2014 to 2017, I took a company from a million dollars to uh, $20 million a year. And we did this by me becoming a, an effective leader, being very clear on my vision for my company, and, no, and firing all my employees and hiring a team. A team shows up early, leaves late and has a unified goal to achieve, an outcome to achieve. So I no longer call my team employees. They are team members. I happen to be the team captain, and we have a unified goal, and that is 2,500 Fit Body Bootcamp locations worldwide. And I've documented the whole process of how to become an effective leader, how to have clarity of vision and path, and how to build a strong and effective team behind you to take your vision and build it into an empire in the book Man Up. Oh, I love that. I love the verbiage you use around your team as well. I think that really changes people's mindset. I mean, you have so much going on right now. What are you most passionate about? Dude, what I'm most passionate about right now is I'm still a coach. So just like I used to train people one-on-one, -on -one, I still love coaching people. I just love coaching them through multiple sources of platforms now, like your podcast and Facebook and Instagram at the same time. Now, granted, I'm not specifically helping people out, but I still have masterminds and coaching programs. And so I'm most excited about the my ability to reach more people with my message through my book and through my franchise. Yeah, I know after hearing this podcast, a lot of people are going to be reaching out to you for some coaching. Any new things, any new programs you're working on? No, that's it. And that's that's actually part of my book is uh, one thing I, I talk about in my book is before people would ask me, dude, so what are you working on next? And I would rattle off, oh, I'm doing this with Craig Ballantyne. I started a publishing company here and I'm doing this new info product I'm launching. Today, people go, what are you working on next? I go, the same thing. I've got a vision. I'm clear on it, and I'm clear on my path. A book that's going to become a New York Times bestseller when it launches, and a franchise that's going to have 2,500 locations by the year 2020. And nothing, no idea fairy, no business partnership, no opportunity will come and derail me from my goals. Boom, laser focused. I absolutely love that. So before we end today, I've got two more questions for you. I want to know, what's an idea you've had in the past year that's changed based on new research? Ooh, an idea that I had in the past year that's ch changed on new research. Um, okay, 
I thought, man, as long as I can write good sales copy and good email marketing e emails, um, it's, everything's going to rock and roll. I just kept putting all my eggs in the email basket. And I realized uh, in the last year how really critical social media is. Um, I've, I've always been transparent and authentic in my email marketing and in my sales copies that I've written and videos I've made. But I've never really embraced social media until the last year because um, I just didn't think it was going to be as effective. But it's actually become more effective because the more people know me through social media, the more money they spend with me and the less objections they give us when they're spending their money. Always willing to adapt. I love that. If you could have my listeners implement one thing in their lives, what would it be? Do not hit the snooze button tomorrow, the next day, or the rest of your life. When your alarm goes off, wake up. Because when you hit the snooze button, you're telling your subconscious mind that you are looking for 10 more minutes of mediocre sleep over getting up and dominating your life's mission. And that is the wrong message to send to your subconscious mind first in the morning. Wow, Bedros, if that doesn't fire up the listeners, I don't know what will. I know they are going to love reading up on you, following you. Where can they do that? Uh, best place to actually learn about me and my book, Man Up, is to go to bedroscoolian.com, and uh, you can learn all about me. Awesome. Well, we will link all that up on the show notes. I can't thank you enough. This was a ton of fun, and I learned a bunch, so thanks so much. Thank you, Sean. Is there is there anything I can do for you to help you? You know what? This call was all I needed. You taught me enough. I've got a page full of notes here, and it's going out there to help me inspire to go after my goals, so thank you. Thank you for the opportunity, man. Have a good one. You too. What got you there with Sean Delaney? Uh, what got you there with Sean Delaney? What got you there with Sean Delaney? Uh, what got you there with got you, got you? Thanks for listening to another episode of What Got You There. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave us a review on iTunes and also share with your friends. Thanks so much. Looking forward to talking with you next time. If you want to stay up to date on all things I'm working on behind the scenes and everything we've got going on at What Got You There, head over to whatgotyouthere.com. You'll also be able to see more on podcast guests and what they're doing. Thanks to Justin Great for providing us the intro and outro song. If you like his music and want to find out more about what he's working on, head over to justingreat.com.